0: know we serve the God of the impossible, right? Yes. yes, our God can do those things we can't even begin to think about. We just need to put our trust and our faith in him. So goes along with, uh, with James. As uh, If you want to turn in your Bible to James, first chapter, we're going to uh, be starting about verse 9. And just looking at James again, James to me is a, is a blue-collar preacher. He is one that um, just sort of cuts to the chase. And a lot of the old preachers of the day, even in more recent history, were like that. They didn't really sugarcoat a whole lot of things. They wanted to challenge us in our walk. James was one of the first books written in the New Testament, so the church was fairly new. And apparently, um, James was receiving reports, or he was observing things, that he knew didn't belong there. And so he's, he's been addressing those as we've gone through. And one is trials. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. We're going to go through these things. James is saying we need to persevere through these things. We need to learn his wisdom. And so it says ask for our wisdom. It says God wants to give it to us graciously without reproach. And that reproach really meant that, that we shouldn't be thinking that we're ever burdening God when we go to him, or that we're praying too much or bothering him. And um, God wants to hear our prayers. God is interested in what interests us. And so we learned about that. Well, today we're going to talk about a, a paradox as we start in, in verse 9. And a paradox is a statement that uh, seemingly seems contradictory when you talk about but the Bible has a lot of them. There's one that says, "When I am weak, then I am strong." Doesn't seem to make sense, but it's in the Bible. It gets us to think, right? Uh, anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Paradox. Uh, it says that there will be a time when a famine is going to come upon the world, not of food or of water. Well, that's what we know famines to be. But it says by the word of God. That's in the book of Amos. Another paradox. It says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. So we look at those things. Uh, we, can, uh, we own nothing, and yet we have everything. Doesn't make sense, but when we think about it spiritually, we know what the Bible's talking about. The last will be first, and the first last. So a paradox is really a, a powerful tool that gets us to think. And the one thing that I love about Jesus, if, if you read through the Gospels, is that he always was trying to get people to think. Many times he would answer a question with a question. And the reason he was doing that was because if, he, if I ask him a question and then he returns with a question, i got to think of an answer. And Jesus always wants us thinking. He wants to prod our minds. He wants us to, to uh, rely upon him and his word for these things that we look at. And so he tells us here as we're looking through, it says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. And so he gives this contrast about rich and poor, depending upon your, your version that you're reading. Uh, it could be let the poor brother glory in his exaltation. So we have the poor that is raised up. We have the rich that they say need to be humble. Why is, why is James addressing this? seems sort of like a, a jump from talking about wisdom all of a sudden into the rich and poor. Well, I, I think there's something interesting there because uh, we're either rich or we're poor or we're somewhere in between. I think James is really talking to all of us. But the poor are going to be challenged to endure temptations because of their lack because of the things maybe that, that they don't have, because they have very little. Uh, the rich, on the other hand, are going to be challenged with temptations that money can't fix. So a lot of times if you have a lot, we depend upon our bank account or our money, we can fix this, we can use that. Uh, the society we live in likes to use money um, to gain power and position and different things uh, along those lines. Uh, the poor, on the other hand, sometimes can doubt Because they don't have the resources. Where is God? How come I'm suffering? How come I'm going through these things? But everyone, if you are either without or if you have abundance, is going to go through trials. That's what James is talking about. Now apparently in the churches there was some some class issues, and James is going to deal with that as we go through the scriptures. I think uh, in the book of James he probably brings it up I think about five times as, as we go through that. So there was that issue, and you know, today there is still that issue. We tend to cater to those that have, because we think that we can gain a benefit from those. Sometimes those that that don't have much, we say, well, they don't have a whole lot to offer uh, the body. But Jesus says, hey, you know what? We're all part of the body of Christ. We all have gifts. He's got a calling on each of us, as we're going to talk about today. You know, there's a wise prayer in Proverbs 30 that says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Uh, The book of Proverbs is is interesting because it sort of tackles us where we're at. But how many of us just pray, you know, Lord, just give me enough for my needs? Well, we usually are praying or looking for beyond our needs to our wants because. We're an affluent people, we're used to having a lot, and and we like a lot. But the danger is, as Proverbs says, if that's where our trust is, in our possessions, we are going to be disappointed all the time. I think it was Howard Hughes that, uh, I mean a millionaire, had more money than he could ever spend. Somebody asked him, you know, as rich as he was, how much money do you want? His answer was, one more dollar than what I have. You know, that's sort of agreed, that's the mindset that we can fall into that trap, that we can fall into of putting our reliance upon what we have or even in what we don't have. So sometimes when we're without, we can, we can question God. God, where are you? And We're not trusting God to take care of our situations, and so we take things into our own hands. So the, the, the temptation for the rich, of course, is to rely on their money. And for the poor, it might be just to doubt God, that God even cares or is around and, and listening to us. And does he really care about the things that I'm going through? But either way, no matter where we're at, the temptation of Satan is this, is that we, he always wants us to act independently of God. And so the question today as we're going through this is, is your reliance, is your dependence fully upon Christ? Not just for salvation, but even for our day-to-day needs in our life. You know, does he provide us with the blessings that we need each and every day? What happens when we go through some struggles in our life? Is he there? Does he care? Will he provide? So in the book of Proverbs, it says, you know, if, if I have more money than what I need, you know, I may deny God. Say, well, God's not handling it. I can fix this myself. And, and then use our resources to do that, taking God out of the equation. Then he says in the Proverbs, again, if I'm, if I'm too poor and block God out, then I think i got to steal or i got to manipulate a system or something like that to obtain the things that I need. And so are you acting independently of God or is your trust on God and in God for all the things that we have? You know, a lot of people when they do devotions, they'll read uh, Daily Bread or Days of Praise and all those things. Those are always nice. I mean, they're, they're sort of inspirational. They're upbeat. Uh, they're, they're good reads. Um, I, I get into some devotionals that um, sometimes challenge, challenge me on a level, and I had one this last week. I just want to share a little bit of it as we go through this. It says, at age 32, Elizabeth faced a life crisis of personal conscience. She did not want to be married anymore to her husband or to have his children. Locking herself in the bathroom of her upscale home, she began to pray over and over, Lord, I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to live in this big house. I don't want to have this baby. A voice of her own answered that and told her to go back to bed. Thus begins her own self-focused spiritual journey. She goes through a divorce, moves in with her lover, and begins a self uh, ingratiating spiritual quest. Her final theological ethany ends the way it began. From hearing her own voice speaking to her, she concludes that her highest religious dogma and theology is to honor the divinity that resides within me and to worship at the feet of the God within. A self-indulgent spiritual journey wrapped in cultural or personal selfishness. So those are my devotions. Aren't those upbeat? (laughs) They get you thinking anyways. But it it challenges me to think about those things and to look at our society, to look at the church. Not just this church, but what we call God's church. Are we on that? Are we on a self-indulgent spiritual journey? Are we listening just to the voice inside of our head of my wants and, and my desires and my needs? Or are we truly listening to God? And it says that it's wrapped in a cultural or personal selfishness. See, we can try to use God many times for our, for our own gains. For the own things that we want. There are even those that in sinful situations are trying to accredit God. Because maybe somehow in this world they are, are being blessed financially or with provisions. Well, God's taking care of me. Surely that sin doesn't bother him that much. And we get it all wrong. See, God wants us to look at the foundation of His Word. He wants us to be purged of this sin. And so we've emotionalized our spirituality. Now, emotions are good. God has given us emotions. I mean, there's joy, there's sorrow, there's anger, there's, there's pity, there's all these emotions that, that were made up. It's, it's part of who we are as God's creation. But when our emotions begin to affect our, our concept of God and His Word and truth and what it means, we need to be careful. You know, I, I remember talking with a lady when I was first in ministry and, and uh, she was in a bad marriage situation. Her, her husband was very controlling. A lot of, uh, I, there wasn't physical abuse, but there was a lot of mental abuse, which sometimes can be worse than physical abuse. And, and I knew the inside stories of this. And she wanted to get a divorce. And um, all I could tell her, and she wanted me to tell her that it was okay for her to get a divorce. Now, Uh, Again, I I believe people shouldn't remain in in, uh, hostile situations or dangerous situations by any means. Uh, But I could share with her what God's word said, is that it hated divorce. But there was an emotion in me that said, I agree with everything she's saying. I I, I know exactly where she's at. I I don't know if I was sympathizing or empathizing or whatever with her. I could understand it fully, but the reality of it was that God hated divorce. And, you know, we had talked about, like, legal separation, some other things to, uh, to, to remove from the situation until things got better. Um, but I use that as an example because our emotions get there. You know, I had a, a friend that I went to Canada with for years, and, and he was pretty legalistic um, Baptist, Baptist guy. And his brother, I went with him and his brother both. And his brother, some of their kids had gone through some of the the woes of the world, some divorces and things like that and, but his family hadn't and so he was sort of proud in that, well you know God can do this and God can do that until it hit home to him and his, his daughter went through a divorce and then all of a sudden his whole perception of things changed now I think our attitudes need to be that of, of scripture, of love and mercy and grace and those things but the emotions can affect us when it's those that are closest to us And so do we emotionalize our spirituality? Do we just say, well, it's right because I feel it's okay, or or I don't think it's wrong, or I don't feel that that's wrong? Or do we base it upon the truth of God's word? You know, we don't hear a whole lot from the pulpits anymore, thus saith the Lord, or this is what God's word says. We don't even like to call sin, sin much anymore. We like to call it, well, they made an error in judgment. They've made a mistake. They're, you know, they're just sort of on this wrong path. James would call this sin in our life. And so in Matthew 6:33 Jesus taught this seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he tells us all these things will be added unto us. And so James had told us just a little bit earlier that if we lacked wisdom, we know where to go. We go to God and we ask God, God give me the wisdom to deal with the things that I'm facing. We can have the knowledge, but do we have the wisdom to deal with those things. See, the problem comes when we don't ask, or as James would say, we ask amiss, or maybe we ask inappropriately. When we ask for things that, that are not according to God's word sometimes, and we say, well, God isn't answering my prayer. Well, are we asking according to his word? Are we asking according to his will? Are we able to say, Lord, not my will, but, but your will be done? And, and I see this a lot in my life and in other people's lives. You know, We, we pray about things and, and we say that we're giving it to God, but we always are hanging on to it. You know, The, the burden gets lifted from me when, when I can just say, God, you know what, I'm praying about this. It's in your hands now. You know what my will is. My will might be for healing or might be for this or might be for that. You know what my will is, but Lord, I'm committing it to your will and whatever your will is, that's good enough for me. And so, sometimes we ask inappropriately because we're really seeking to satisfy our own selfishness. You know, Lord, give me this. I need this. I want that. And, and we're all consumed with those things that are, are really temporal in this world. You know, when Jesus is building in us, he's not just building us for, for the here and now, but he's building us also for all eternity. He's building us for how we can be used also in the future, Not just today. And so we need to listen to him. We need to know what his word says. And so we need to sort of get our selfishness out of this. Because as the scriptures goes on, he teaches that. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, Paul understood that that when we go through things in life that it's not just for today but it's for something in the future. 2 Corinthians 4:17 says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. An eternal glory. So these things that we're going through today are really preparing us for when we're in heaven with the Lord. It's preparing us for when we are dealing with people maybe tomorrow or next week. You know, I did a funeral yesterday and there was probably about 250 50 people there and it was for one of our, our founders of um, the church up in Jump River so I became her pastor about 30 years ago and uh, her family had pretty much strayed from most of the children weren't, weren't living a Christian life um, but she never gave up she always continued to pray she was 91 years old and she was always building for the future she was always looking to say you know uh, I'm not going to give up. We need to love. We need to uh, continually interject the truth into people. And she was always one for speaking the truth. And so Paul said he's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is at work in us to use us. And I say this about, about uh, her name was Louise. Was She lost two kids. When we first got married um, We knew, we knew her children and of course, they weren't living for the Lord. We weren't either at the time. And uh, two of her two of her kids got killed out in Colorado in a car accident. And that's a terrible thing for a parent to have to go through. Well, just fast forward about 20 years later, and well, now we're the pastor, and we're the pastor of her church. And we have another member in our church that had a car accident. They lost uh, a little boy named Caleb, little little child. Um, and so we were up trying to minister to the family, you know, however you can. What do you say in those situations? But we were there trying to give comfort. And I really was like, what words do you say? And all of a sudden the door bell rings and, and in comes Louise. She didn't need to say a word. Those two, her and Melissa, they just grabbed and hugged and cried. And it was like, you know, the Lord maybe used that terrible thing for something in the future. See, when we're going through trials and tribulations, God can be using us and preparing us for something in the future. So as you look at rich and poor, as as James is here, there are going to be those that probably insist that um, God wants you to be rich. And, And, you know, I'm not into the prosperity gospel. As a matter of fact, I don't think God cares if you're rich or poor. What God cares is if you're his. And are you his? That's his main thing. But he gives us the promise that he will take care of our needs. He knows our needs before we ever ask. And it says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. See, God is preparing us for this crown of life, for those who love him. And again, Jesus says many times, If you love me, do what I command. Or why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things that I say. See, so he wants us in our relationship. We sort of um, uh, segregated out, you know, our profession from our life. James is addressing, he's saying really in our life that our, our testimony, that the things we profess should match our life. Now I say that understanding this. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us righteous in our own ways. Not one of us. We're all sinners and if you're uh, in a relationship with Christ, you're a sinner saved by grace. We understand that. I battle with sin in my life. We're all going to battle with sin in our life. But God has a plan for us. And my testimony needs to match my profession. Because, I mean, that's where the world says hypocrites. Most Christians are hypocrites. Because we tell them how, sh- how they should live. You know, It's sort of like the parent that says, do as I tell you, not as I do. Right? My mom used to tell me that growing up, she smoked and drank and did drugs, and, and when she'd catch me smoking or drinking or doing, you shouldn't be doing that, and you don't do that. Well, but she was giving me the example, and whether she knew it or not, and you know we do that same thing. We give people an example because they look at us, they look at me as a pastor, and say, you know. What is he as far as a representation or ambassador of Christ? He looks at you as, as a attender of this church or as a member or as a professing Christian. And they look and they say, well, but if you're a Christian, why are you talking like that? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? You may say, well, I don't want to be Christ's representation because, you know, I'm not good. I'm a, but God has called us. We don't have a choice in that. When we accept Christ and we have his Holy Spirit in us, he says we are his ambassadors. And so when Peter sort of had, had, uh, I guess a word would be sort of whined that, you know, Lord, we've left everything for you. We've left everything to to follow you and, and, you know, to be your disciples. Jesus responded this way. Everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, or children or fields, for my sake, he says, will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. Now, this is where prosperity gospel gets going, where they'll say, oh, yeah, if you give up this, he's going to give you a hundredfold. The way that I read this is this, is that if you give up the things of this world, the temptations of this world, the the lust of the flesh of this world, God has something far more greater for you. See, we we look at things. I remember when I was going through that that stage of um, people were witnessing to me. I wasn't a Christian yet. And, and, and I looked at things in a different way. So I would look at things like, you know, this whole thing is the world and all my freedoms, and I can, I can go out and, and live and experience all these things in Christianity is through this door. And on the other side of that door is a little room. And, and I don't, you know, pretty soon I'll go there, but right now I want all this. But what I found out was this world I was living in, that all this, that when I opened the door, it was like opening the front door. Now here's all of the earth. Here's all of, of creation that's before me. When I went through that door, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like the freedom that I had, the, the burdens that were lifted, the opportunities that were there, the blessings that, that I found in friendships and relationships, how my marriage was enriched, how my friendships were enriched, how life itself had, had meaning to me. And so we need to look at that. When we give those things up for his name's sake, he's going to bless us far more than that we can ever imagine. You put Christ in the middle of your marriage, your marriage will never be better. It will never be stronger. You'll never be closer than when Christ is in that. Same with your children. Same with your church family. Same with your friendships and your relationships. It's never going to be better than when he is there. And then he says that he has given us those things and then it says, and inherit eternal life. So when we give up those things for him, it's not just the blessings that we're going to receive, and these blessings are, are not necessarily monetary or, or, or tangible, but they're spiritual blessings. But then we get eternal life on top of that. So we live in a world, basically, or in a society right now where most of us have probably never really experienced true poverty or, or true... Without, I mean, I can look back in our marriage and say when we first got married, I mean, we ate a lot of deer and we ate a lot of potatoes because deer were free in the field pretty much year-round if we wanted them. And <laughs> the garden, that, well, that was just the day. We used to do that. And I could say, oh, you know, we were so poor. I I don't think I ever missed a meal. I, I never went a night where I was uh, homeless, at least since I'd been married, um, You know, without a roof over my head, we've always had heat in our house. God has always taken care of us, even before we were Christians. I've never really been without, but I think when James was talking to people, I think he was dealing with some true poverty back then. I mean, now we have all these social programs that tend to pick up all the the strays and the, the frays and stuff like that, but back then, it wasn't necessarily that way. And so we haven't really struggled with that thing, so it's sort of foreign to us. So in our lives... We sort of become a society that has become enamored with ourselves. So I said that, you know, a few weeks ago, that if you look at most people's cell phones, they probably have hundred pictures of themselves with, with everybody. You know, here's me and Jean, and here, here's me and my wife, and here's me, just me. I'm the selfist. You know, we become enamored with ourselves. We look at everything from the aspect of what do I benefit from this? What am I getting out of this? And I often wonder, what would Jesus think when Jesus said that? If he would have just said, you know, what am I getting out of this deal? I mean, I'm coming down to earth. I'm going to walk amongst these people. They're going to reject me. They're going to spit upon me. Eventually, they're going to whip me and scourge me and nail me to a cross and watch me die and then mock me while I'm on that cross. What am I going to get out of this? See, he had that self-giving did it for us because he knew that he was going to be the way the truth and that no one was going to come to the father except by him really Christ didn't get anything out of it except for providing us a way but we need that mind of Christ too that says you know not just so much what can I get out of it but am I living for Christ am I living for God am I raising my family in a, in a godly environment is, is God's word the, the center focus of, of all that I do and we need that in our life because we need to get away with being enamored with ourselves and how good we look or where we are in the social status and you know how important are we in, in all these things. We need to learn to, to humble ourselves. Paul said this that should really sort of snap us back to reality. In Ephesians 4 it says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy. He didn't say profess a life worthy. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy. Worthy of the calling you have received. So when we come into a relationship with Christ, it tells me right away that I have a calling on my life. God has a purpose for me. And he says, live that life worthy. Not just talk about it, not just proclaim it, but do it. Live that life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility. Jesus, it says, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Are we humble? Do we always need to be right? Do we need to get the last word? Do we always need every thought in our head expressed? No, we don't. Sometimes we just need to humble ourselves. We need to let God have his way. You know, part of the human um, nature, sometimes i often say, is fight or flight. So they'll say that's natural instincts. Fight or flight. We're either going to stand and fight or something or we're going to run from it. When Christ entered my life, he, he helped me to discover one other thing. Waiting. He who waits upon the Lord, it says, will renew his strength. He will rise up on eagles wing." So sometimes, you know, it's not just this or that, but it's allow God. Allow God to do his work. Allow God time in my situations. You know, I pray, Lord, you know, you know my situation. I need to, to get this taken care of. But I need it now. And if you can't help me, I'm going to take it into my own hands. Do we wait upon the Lord? You know, God understands the consequences, really, of sin in our life. He goes on in 13, No one will say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Some people say, you know, that the temptation was just too strong, I gave them. You know, back in my day, they used to have a show called Laughing and Nipsey Russell. You know, the devil made me do it. The Bible tells me that I made me do it. It says very clearly about sin. When each one is tempted, when he is drawn away by, not the desires of the world, but when he's... drawn away by his own desires it says and enticed see we look at things and we desire them and do we desire them more than godly things we look at this and say I can't do without this God says stay away from that oh but but it's okay you know I've been blessed in my life God understands God does not understand sin in our life what God understands is that he's provided an escape from sin through his son Jesus Christ Corinthians even tells us that when we are tempted, he says there's not a temptation that is uncommon to man, but when we are tempted, he has provided us a way out. There's always an escape route for us through Jesus Christ. Now I say that humbly because we're all sinners and we do fall short. And we're going to find ourselves, but just like James said last week, when, when we're sort of plunged into these things, these various trials, not when we wade into it. Many times, you know, uh, my message yesterday, I'm not going to share much of it, but uh, I, I talked about being living epistles, known and read of all men. You know, each day we are writing a sentence, a paragraph, or a chapter of our life. We are, every day that we are living. We are, we are living epistles. We're living books, known and read. We can't change the chapter from yesterday. That's, that's dumb. But we can today. And we can tomorrow. Maybe the way that I was writing a book last week, You know, the ending was bad. The ending was death, as the scriptures would say. But then I met Christ. And so I can write a new sentence for today, a new paragraph. I can change the whole thing. You ever watch a movie or a sequence, and all of a sudden you're so sure that it's going this way, and all of a sudden there's a hard left, and all of a sudden, wow, I didn't see that coming. We have that opportunity through Christ. Because I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. You know, we think we have unlimited days to live the, the lady I buried yesterday was 91 I'm thinking that gives me 31 more years if I live as long as she did but I don't know that I don't know if I'm gonna make it through today I'm pretty tired right now you know I don't know we all think that we have tomorrow oh, tomorrow I'll change it. Oh, I'll work on that tomorrow you know today you know today go for the gusto tomorrow we sort of had this uh, narcissistic notion in our lives of, of of just living the way that we want, doing the things that we want. And we sort of think that no bad should ever happen to us. And we're shocked when it does. And when it does, a lot of times, we don't want to blame ourselves. I mean, just listen to people. It's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We always have that discussion, don't we? There you are, blaming me again. Why'd you do it? It's our nature. That's what we do. Sort of narcissistic. It can never be my fault. It's always got to be somebody else's fault. And spiritually, we blame God for a lot of things in our life, too. So John or James, he really confronts this thing head on through the scriptures by stating, when tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot tempt with evil. God allows us to go through trials, to expose our faith, to show us the faith that we have, to show others the faith that we have. But he doesn't tempt us with evil. And, and Jesus sympathizes with us when we go through these things because it says... That as he walked as a man on this earth, he says, being tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. We have the victory through Christ. We have the victory in him. We can walk and you know when we stumble and fall, First John says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and we repent of those sins and we come back to him. So James really knew that truth. That we are tempted by our own desire. By our own desires. And that's what drags us away. And gets us enticed. What are the desires of your heart? Because our choice many times. Is to do those things that are contrary to God's word. It's our choice and our desire to do ungodly things. We may say oh, I don't like it. But we continue to do it. It's like a dog returning to vomit as the scripture says. We continue to do it. We get in those cycles. And we don't let Jesus have his way with us. I think John would say don't be deceived. Or James would say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He tells us in the, the very end here. Do not be deceived, verse 16, my beloved brother. God is truth. His word is truth. His word is what we need to apply to our life. When Jesus died on that cross and rose again, he provided freedom for us. He provided us freedom from the snares of sin. He provided us freedom from, of new wisdom, of new life, of new strength, of new direction. Jesus accomplished all of that on the cross. And so when I say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I'm declaring that he has given me that new birth and that new life, and I can walk in that newness of life by his strength and by his grace. When we look at that, we can really say, God, in a way, has honored us with this salvation. He has has exalted us. He has lifted us up and said, you no longer need to live like the pig in the mud. I have something far greater for you. You know, for the rich and the poor, we can look at a lot of things, and sometimes we can say, you know, money may make life easier. I think sometimes it can, sometimes it can complicate things. But the world may say that money can make life easier. But money does not make life more meaningful. Jesus wants us to have a meaningful life. A meaningful existence in Him. He wants us to experience the meaningful life that can only be experienced through the eternal gift that He gives us through His Son and by the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. Do you have that life? Are these things the things that truly make you rich? Let's pray.